Hello. What's baptism? Have you been baptised? And what does it mean? What does the Bible say about it? Here on Search for Truth today, Brian gives us a study of baptism. When reading the Bible, there's always more to learn, even if we think we have a full understanding. So I'm delighted you've joined us. And as we listen, if a question crops up, then do write in to sft at churchesofgod.info and discuss it with Brian. And here's Brian now to explore how baptism by immersion is required for obedient service. Thanks, John. The story is told, and it may be apocryphal, that there was a guard standing on duty when a volcano erupted. He saw death coming, but as he'd not been commanded to leave his guard post, he remained standing there until he was covered in clouds of extremely hot ash and rock fragments, all from the volcano. If true, that's some commitment. I'm reminded, you know, of another story, and this is one that I can totally vouch for, as it was told to me directly by a colleague, an international Bible teacher who was at the time conducting a tour of the land of Israel. At one point, he was talking to an Israeli helicopter pilot. The man told my friend that some time ago he'd had a terrible accident. His helicopter had gone too close to the edge of a gorge, and one of its rotors had clipped, had touched the side of the steep river valley. The helicopter had come crashing down out of the sky. He'd been rescued, but the rotor blade had cut through his leg very badly. The hospital team informed him they were going to have to amputate it. He pleaded with them not to cut off his leg. He wanted them to try to save his leg. Well, they mended everything as best they could, but told him he would never again regain any power in that leg. It would be useless. But this man was a very determined character. He really wanted to continue to serve among the defence forces of his country. He then went on to explain how he'd strapped his useless leg to his bicycle pedal and cycled, making his good leg do all the work. The other leg was forced to follow, of course, and so up and down it went. I don't recall for how many weeks or months or even longer that he did this. But to make a long story short, that useless leg regained something of its old power. When the man had got to this point in his story, my friend said an alarm had sounded. And at the sound of it, this helicopter pilot had literally sprinted across the tarmac and climbed into his helicopter. That, too, is real commitment to the cause. The Lord Jesus wants his followers to show true commitment in their love and loyalty for him. The symbol of this commitment is our baptism. And by our baptism, I mean the time when we are buried completely in water before being raised to live out our new, changed lifestyle without any of our old vices. The Apostle Paul in the Bible, in Romans chapter 6, says this, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus have been baptised into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. 
That's verses 3 to 5 of Romans 6. And these verses show us that our baptism is a symbol of our death, burial and resurrection with Christ. That's why our body must be buried, not merely sprinkled. By this act, we're identifying ourselves with Christ. We're saying he died and we died to sin. He was buried, he rose again, and we rose to new life in Jesus. In our baptism, we realise that's how God sees us. Baptism to a Christian believer is like a wedding ring to a married couple. The ring itself doesn't make them married. It's the exchange of vows before God that does that. But the ring is the sign or symbol that they are married. Baptism is not a requirement for salvation. It's only a sign or symbol to testify publicly to others that we are saved and we belong to the Lord Jesus. Remember, baptism is something we do and nothing we do can save us. Only what Jesus did. I often work in a country where people believe in and practice baptismal regeneration. In case you haven't encountered this, it's the belief that baptism in water, that's as distinct from baptism in the Holy Spirit, baptism in water, they say, is necessary for someone to become a child of God. And so they're saying water baptism is required for them to have new life. In other words, this teaching says that you need to be baptised in water in order to obtain salvation from the penalty of your sins. In checking out that that is not the case, that that is false, let's come afresh to our Bibles. We'll aim to show that believer's baptism is a public recognition of an inner change previously brought about by God through faith on our part. Upon baptism, the Christian believer commits to live to please the Lord. I've repeatedly come across those of different denominations who advocate that without water baptism, we simply can't be assured of divine forgiveness in a place in heaven. Some stumble over Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Surely they say this verse, which talks about being baptised for the forgiveness of sins, in order to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That verse, they say, is all the proof we need that baptismal regeneration is an essential part of the established New Testament pattern of teaching. However, before we could conclude that, we must first apply the safeguard of comparing Scripture with Scripture, allowing verses where the meaning is plain to clarify our understanding of Bible texts, where the meaning is either in dispute or seemingly different. When we do that, we discover that it's most likely that the verse we've mentioned in Acts chapter 2 verse 38 was some kind of special requirement to prove the genuineness of the faith commitment of those Jews, and this for the reason that they belonged to the generation who'd put Christ to the cross. When we compare Acts chapter 10 and verse 43 and verse 48, and also Acts chapter 19 and verses 2 and 5, we see that the settled pattern of apostolic teaching becomes very clear. In each case, the forgiveness of sins and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit are plainly said to be given to those who believe before their water baptism. Paul sends a clear signal in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 17 
by saying, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. If it is taught that baptism is necessary for salvation, how could Paul make such an emphatic distinction? Usually, advocates of the belief that baptism in water is necessary for salvation rest their case strongly on Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. If only subjected to a superficial review, this verse seems to make their case clearly. It says, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. But if anyone wishes to be contentious on the basis of this verse, they must be faced up with the second part of it, as we read, which focuses on the critical element of belief alone in the case of those who are not to be condemned. I often point out that I too am a baptised believer and I know that I am saved. But the scriptures, including this one in Mark 16, 16, the scriptures teach that it's crucially my faith in Christ's atoning death that has saved me from future condemnation before a holy God. It's also worthwhile pointing out that the concluding section of Mark's Gospel, of which this verse is a part, is not found in early New Testament manuscripts. As a result, we can by no means be certain that this is part of the inspired original text. It's foolhardy to base a doctrine upon a singular text whose authority can at least be debated. And alongside this, Acts chapter 22 and verse 16 can be satisfactorily shown to be in full agreement. Let's look at that verse. Acts 22 verse 16, it says, Be baptised and wash away your sins, calling on his name, Jesus' name. Set at the time of Saul's dramatic conversion, these were the words of God's servant Ananias. Saul had encountered the risen Christ on the Damascus highway. He too, like the Jews we were thinking about a moment ago, Saul had been a high-profile opponent of the Christian persuasion. And it might be argued, as in Acts 2.38, that the public act of water baptism was accordingly and again exceptionally required of him. It's not necessary, however, to understand the text in that specialised way, but we can view it here in a way that applies to all believers. For believers' baptism is intended to be a watershed event in our lives. By saving faith, we are not the same person we once were in God's sight. And following our water baptism, we are not to live as we once lived in our sinful past lifestyle. So the washing of Acts 22 verse 16 can, and we believe should, be viewed as the cleansing of our ways, the removal of past vices, and the demonstration of a new lifestyle no longer dominated by obvious sin. In any place, you know, where the teaching of Ephesians 2 and verses 8 and 9 is so effective against the error of a reliance on good works for salvation, it's sometimes found to be helpful to observe that baptism as a rite or ordinance is a good work, which we do in obedience to the Lord's command, and as such, it cannot bring salvation from sin's penalty. And the takeaway from this study on believers' water baptism is this. You are not the same person you once were, so no longer live as you once lived. This is the big message 
of Romans chapter 6 and the practical lesson of our water baptism. Now, if you've decided to follow Jesus as a disciple, I wish you all the strength and resolve which that'll require. So do lean heavily on Christ for his guidance, and hopefully see you in heaven. The transcript book of all the talks in this series is available, so please let me remind you how you can freely receive a copy. Firstly, it's available online and you can obtain one by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media. Alternatively, you can write to us and request a hard copy book. Just ask for the title, A Good Place to Begin. And don't forget to include your postal address so we know where to send it. And you can use email or the post. And here's our address. Search for truth. Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, SN4, 8DY, UK. And our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, I'm delighted you've been with us today. Thanks for the pleasure of your company. Please join me again next time for another study when Brian will be looking at what the Bible tells us about his plan, that's God's plan for disciples. But for now, it's goodbye and very best wishes from our Bible teacher, Brian, producer, David, our singers, and me, John. So see you again soon. And in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings.